Hi, I'm Will Thomas. And I'm Tim Jackson, Doctor of Economics at the University of Liverpool. And this is the Post-Crisis Economics Podcast. When we talk about the economy, it's this sort of this big, scary beast that we don't really have under control. And we sort of have to go out of our way to placate it and sort of sacrifice our children to this proverbial dragon. And I start to worry that politicians use this sort of this rhetoric, this scare language to sort of say that it's it's almost out, outside of their hands. I think you, when you look at things like inflation, it's remained remarkably stable. And I can imagine that you, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the economy is this sort of this this thing that you don't have under under the reins but really it's something that we've built it's like it's a construct of of mankind and presumably it has levers built into it so i'm wondering if that's the case why is inflation so stable why it doesn't seem to be a problem what's going on here the first thing is that that kind of rhetoric of like, oh, we've kind of solved the economy, we kind of know how to how to control it, we've got all the levers built in. That's really uh, reminiscent of the kind of language that was being bounced around about 2006, 2007. There was quite a famous economist, Bob Lucas. He there's a there's a uh, the American Economic Association, a big association of economists, and he famously gave this presidential address, and he basically said the problem of depressions in the economy and macroeconomics it's all solved. We know what we're doing. It's all done. And then obviously two years later, the financial crisis happened. Um, Irving Fisher said something similar in 1929. He said, oh, the economy's sorted. We know what we're doing now. And then the Wall Street crash happened. So I think yeah, economists have a history of thinking that we've kind of got it under control, sorting things out, and then realise that actually one of the... Um, we haven't. We, we've kind of... We've, we've taken our eye off the ball in some way. But certainly the reason that Bob Lucas and, and many others thought that we'd just kind of solved the, the problem of economics is the success in countering inflation. So it's called the Great Moderation. The period from kind of mid to late 80s all the way up to the financial crisis is that it was fairly stable growth, fairly kind of uh, inflation was low and under control. There were problems, there were crises, there were things that happened, but it was actually kind of a, the longest period of uh, really kind of stable macroeconomic growth. It was, it's kind of strange. It's, it's when the baby boomers made all their money. It's kind of, they got the, they kind of came into the kind of job market into the kind of the 80s and then had 30 years of pretty kind of, of great times, really. It's, if you think about the, the entire run of the, the TV show Friends, that was all through this great moderation, this time when kind of um, America was undoubtedly the, the king of the world because the Soviet Union had, had fallen. Uh, China was, had, had, was yet to kind of really develop. So it was really kind of, one, there was only one kind of way and it was this, this kind of Western macroeconomic, neoliberal, neoliberal with, kind of, with a, bit of a bit of a twist on it because New Labour kind of put another tw- a bit of a twist on it. Bill Clinton had, there, there wasn't purely kind of free markets, but free market was definitely kind of the, the dominant ideology. You had kind of Fukuyama said, kind of, it's the end of history. Like we, we've solved all the problems now. This is the, the, rest of the rest of time is just going to be this exact thing. I think that, yeah, there was this idea that we'd kind of solved it all. And then the financial crisis happened and really kind of made us realise that, um, that we hadn't got it all, uh, all sorted out. And the beast and, emerged. And the beast, well, well, then that's kind of interesting. Is that certainly a beast emerged in terms of yeah the the depressions and recessions and bank failure and all this stuff. But what hasn't reemerged is inflation. And so inflation is the kind of really mysterious quantity. And it's so it's it's funny when we t- um, when you kind of think about inflation. When certainly when I kind of teach this to students, I talk about inflation, and it it really feels like a dragon. It's like how. 
villagers might talk about there was the, oh, there used to be this dragon that you kind of you can't go over the, to that field because a dra the dragon will come and imagine this dragon hasn't come for a hundred years and all the children and the children's the kind of the grandchildren they're just like yeah what are these old people on about they've got no idea and it's kind of it's because they've never seen this dragon they've never seen the kind of rampage it could have and they after a while you know you'd think they'd go into those fields and they'd kind of start messing with it because they've they've never seen the problems of it and inflation definitely has that kind of element to it of this kind of it's this mythical beast that used to have used to happen and the old people get very worried about it but nowadays we just don't see it we don't see kind of uh, prices go up like crazy amounts so it is it's definitely something that Older people are, are kind of are worried about, and economists are still very worried about it, and it's still kind of a real kind of thing. But it's it doesn't have that same fear that um, it, the general population doesn't have a fear of inflation in a way that they would have done had they had recent experience of it. So let's talk about the last time the dragon appeared and, and came to the village, so to speak. And I imagine that would be sort of Keynesianism followed by stagflation. So after the war. This idea that you want to get the economy going again, there's lots of investment in public infrastructure projects and things like this, and then something goes wrong, inflation sort of goes out of control, and it seems like the reaction to this was neoliberalism. So can you just talk about, in that instance, why inflation was such a... a was such a terrifying thing? Like, why... What was this dragon doing that was, like, scaring everyone so much? Right, yeah, so, I mean, I guess the first thing I should say is that that's probably the last instance of inflation in in the UK and in, uh, in the USA. But you don't need to go anywhere near as far back as that to look for inflation in other countries. I mean, there's, it's it's still running riot in uh, Venezuela and Zimbabwe right now, um, and far worse than we had it in the seventies. And I mean, most countries. If you go to any country and the, the kind of the denomination of the bills is crazy high. I mean, Japan, the kind of a thousand yen is worth ten pounds. Like the kind of any country that has these kind of crazy banknotes. That's because they had a bout of inflation, and it's it was it's really common. You don't need to go anywhere near as far back as the seventies. So the inflation is a, a serious problem when it hits an economy, and it you you find that when a country has had recent inflation, they're way more afraid of it. They're actually there's actually kind of a survey about financial literacy and how much kind of people are, um, are able to kind of calculate kind of the effects of interest and inflation stuff, and you can tell that if a country has had recent inflation, they're way better at understanding what inflation is and what it does. So actually, the kind of Western countries score worse on this than um, some developing countries because they've they've had to live through it. And I mean, the, the kind of to answer your question of what what does the beast do? What does drag? What does the dragon do when it arrives? So I mean, inflation is the situation where prices are rising, and prices is a very general term here. It's a the price of everything basically, and the way that it's measured is they take a bundle of goods, the kind of a bundle of stuff that you would you know consume on, on average. I think they they changed it recently. Things like Netflix is in there now. Like they they take goods out and put it back in. So the kind of bread and milk and this kind of stuff is always in this this imaginary kind of shopping trolley. But they they add kind of stuff in, and basically they look at the price of those things over time. And if it if it goes up, that's inflation. If prices rise, um, and if it happens slowly, it's a real kind of boiling frog situation where you don't really notice this thing happening because it's happening quite gradually. So you might you might have this idea that hey, you know, Freddo's used to cost less than this, but it, you don't really notice too much when prices go up a little bit. But um, after a while, when it kind of compounded over a few kind of a uh, few years, you'll suddenly realise that hey, I'm a lot poorer than I used to be. I can buy a lot less, even though I've had my wages have stayed the same. Nothing really has changed. I may even had to pay rise. I may even had increasing pay rises. But if, if prices are rising by more than your wages are increasing, you are poorer. 
Right. And it seems like it's interesting that you talked about the Freddo, because this seems to be like the layperson's measure of inflation, right? Oh, they used to cost 10p. Now they cost, I don't know, 50p. I hope that doesn't make me sound incredibly out of touch. I have no idea how much a Freddo is worth these days. It sounds like prices of things go up, but my salary stays the same. It sort of becomes unaffordable to live. Mm -hmm. But I think it might be worth, before we start talking about exactly like what this dragon is doing, just sort of very simply, what what is inflation? Why does it happen? Um, I mean, well, there's a couple of reasons why it happens. I mean, the the simplest thing, uh, the two kind of simple explanations are, one is that um, there's a higher demand for stuff. So if... Um, if there's, if there's one shopkeeper selling Freddos uh, and suddenly every school child comes to buy Freddos, you'd be like, hey, I can make more money by charging more for this. So I'll start raising the prices. So that's the kind of one kind of classic list. It's called um, demand pull inflation. So increased demand uh, leads to uh, higher prices. Interestingly, post-COVID, that's the thing that they're most afraid of, is they're afraid that everybody suddenly, get, they're going to open the economy up, everyone's suddenly going to go back to the shops and buy stuff, and then because there's going to be such a huge demand on everything, that's going to push prices right up, because the, the supply chains are kind of still kind of, you know, sleepy or kind of not still not kind of sorted out yet, and so everyone's going to be suddenly booking stuff, the, there's going to be a really a shortage of goods, high demand, prices are going to go up and those will stick. That's the kind of one that most people worried about so, that's, so what you're that's saying is when we finally go back to the pub a pint hang off the freddos yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure but <laughs> like perhaps when the pubs are open pints might be a little more expensive than we were right well i mean exactly that's that's certainly a thing there's this kind of um, idea that things will change i mean and it's funny that yeah it'll happen when you remember it's because you haven't noticed that was the the boiling frog um, metaphor is that normally you don't notice these things because you you're buying them all the time so you don't notice a, a few p here and there but whereas if you kind of leave leave i don't know let's say you live abroad for a few years and then come back and then suddenly you notice the prices change so freddos are quite a nice example because you don't buy them all the time so you, you might be only every now and then you feel like oh you know look at freddos and that's why you notice it's very salient the difference in price because you're not buying them all the time um, whereas when so, i was a school child i was you know, checking the market for Freddos every <laughs> couple on the forex for Freddos. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the yeah, it's exactly. So it's that kind of inflation has this, has this creeping kind of effect to it. It's very kind of happening in the background slowly. You don't really no- notice it, and it's it's more that you. Yeah, you'll suddenly realise, you'll suddenly feel poor and you're not really sure why. And I think that kind of, that's really psychologically really damaging because you don't really know what's happening. You're suddenly like, oh, this is, everything's kind of bad. I'm not really sure why. I kind of, it reminds me of, I don't know if you, in the, in the, uh, in Eastern Germany, the Stasi, what they used to do is they'd break into your house and they'd, they'd mess with your stuff. They'd move it around. Uh, they'd kind of like kind of throw out letters or move, move stuff around. It, it, just, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And it's that kind of sense that just, there's this unease to inflation that suddenly you're like, oh, so everything's everything feels worse i'm not really sure why it is and i mm. think that's really dangerous because that's it's really very very possible then for um a political party to come in and say hey it's the immigrants fault the reason you're feeling this way is because of immigration or the reason you're feeling this way is because of x y and z whatever and so you have this kind of unease that you don't really understand and you don't know where it is so it's very easy for them to put that blame on someone else so i think that kind of inflation has this really kind of creeping kind of this is slow inflation this is the kind of slow stable inflation that we kind of are used to yeah things aren't the way they used to be exactly and sli- everything's slightly worse in that kind of sensation i think is dangerous uh, and it's um that's that's one reason why we kind of dislike inflation okay so what other causes of inflation are there 
Well, yeah, okay, so that's um, that's demand pull inflation. And before I forget, the one other thing I was saying that's interesting is that the reason we think that house prices go up so much is because we don't sell them very, very often. So right. it's because you tend to only buy and sell a house every kind of 10, 15 years or so. And so the price has gone up loads. And you think, hey, oh my God, look how much price are going up. And prices do go up and they have gone up above inflation, but it's less than you think it is. But it's just that you don't buy them. If you were buying houses every day, you'd, you, you would say that they, they haven't actually changed that much. But um, yeah, so the, the, re- the causes of inflation... So demand pull is one of them. The other one's cost push. So it's where the classic example, and this is the story of the 70s. So that we had this big bout of inflation in the 70s. I always kind of pull this up to students and just show them how bad it was because, again, we just don't know about this. We have no kind of concept that inflation was really bad back kind of where we barely remember. So um, I always put a graph of kind of UK inflation and it is, like you say, it's pretty low. It's kind of, it went up to about 5% just after the crisis. There was, it, that was pretty bad, but it is kind of, yeah, around kind of 2 3%. But yeah, if you look at kind of, it was in 1970, it was, or 1985, it was up to 25%. So that means wow. that the price of everything went up 25%. Yeah, that bundle of bread and milk and Netflix, it was 20% more expensive. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the year, everything was, and it just, and that, obviously, if that's every year, it's getting going up and up and up. So it's going up by a quarter each time. So if it's a pound, it becomes a pound 25, and then I can't do the math quick enough, but it's going up pretty quickly. And compound, uh, you've, you've learned about the kind of power of compound interest. But um, these compound inflation, it really jumps up really quickly. Right. And if your salary isn't tracking with inflation, everything becomes completely unaffordable. Absolutely. And there's still things like you have to fight to, let's say, if the, if the inflation rate is 25%, you need a 25% pay rise. And now, if you go and try and ask for a 25% pay rise, that's not going to be easy, right? So it's going to be, you have to fight really, really hard for a 25% pay rise. And that's, you're fighting for that 25% pay rise just to stay where you are, just to stay still. So you're running to stay still because everything's moving around, because prices are moving all around you. You have to run really far and you have to fight really hard to get a 25% pay rise. And then you're still just, you're not, you're no richer than you were before. You're exactly the same as you were before. And this is, yeah, this is kind of obviously really kind of difficult. And then it's it's just terrible because there are some people who won't be able to get kind of big pay rises. They just, it's no way. Like if a kind of an Amazon worker tries to get a, a, a pay rise that keeps up with inflation, they're not going to be able to do it. We just saw in the news recently that the nurses' pay rises was 1%, which is terrible. And it's way below inflation. So they kind of, they'll have had to fight to get this, inf- uh, this pay rise. And it's not up, it doesn't keep up with inflation. So they're actually getting a pay cut. I mean, the year that they've had is just... Right, exactly. So that kind of stuff. A big problem with inflation is that it makes you, so you've got this idea that things are kind of getting slowly worse. And if you want to try and, you know, keep keep level, you have to run, you have to really fight for it. And you have to fight for pay rises. And so for people like pensioners who are on fixed incomes, they kind of have, they just get this um, the same amount every year. They're getting screwed over because their, their pension isn't keeping up with inflation. That's why we, I mean, we have things to deal with this nowadays. We have kind of triple locks on inflation. These, they go up as high as, they go up with inflation. But if, you're, if your income is fixed to something, it's, yeah, inflation will make that worse and worse, less, worth less and less in, in real terms. So we, uh, economists have this kind of distinction. Nominal is the actual price. Real is when you take into account inflation. So your real wage is the kind of, the, your, it doesn't really matter what the, what the number is. It's your number taking into account the prices and so in real terms if inflation is going up and your wage stays the same you are poorer because you can't you can buy less with the with your with your the money that you're, you're taking home so so yeah you're th- these are kind of the, the kind of the problems with inflation that yeah you can't buy as much i mean th- there's more problems but that's the kind of 
the, the first kind of two is this kind of it really screws over people on fixed incomes. Interestingly, the, the this, this kind of scramble that you have to fight for higher wages is actually one of the lead causes of inflation. So it's a consequence of inflation because it's you need to, if you've got inflation, you need to keep up. You need to kind of ask for higher wages to keep up with it. But it's also a major cause because obviously, if you think about it, if uh, inflation is twenty percent. All the uh, employers, all the employees say, "Hey, we want higher, uh, we want higher wages." So they say, the employers kind of finally give in um, and give these higher wages. Suddenly, they've got a, bit, a higher wage bill. They need to pay all these workers twenty percent more. Oh no! How are we going to how are we going to pay for all these um, these wages? Oh, I know what we'll do. Let's raise the prices on our goods. So they raise the prices, and you have inflation, right? So it's a kind of it's this vicious cycle that inflation causes more inflation, and that's one of the kind of when you have positive feedback like this, you have vicious cycles, then you're in trouble. Well, that's a real kind of a thorny problem, and that's why inflation is such a kind of difficult one because inflation begets inflation, and that's what you were referring to as cost pull. Uh, cost push, yes, exactly. So cost push, it's and cost push and pull. demand pull, exactly. So it's the cost push inflation has this kind of yeah this aspect to it, um, and that's that's certainly what the the received wisdom is is what was happening in the seventies is that we had inflation kind of started and the reason that inflation started in the beginning was due to the oil price shock. So um, OPEC uh, formed so um, basically Saudi Arabia and other kind of oil producing countries decided that they wanted to get they wanted to get some of their money. So um, before then, kind of Britain and America had really dominated the Middle East and really kind of controlled what the price of oil was. These countries said, hey, it's our oil, we want to kind of control it. So they formed a cartel, put the prices up, and they put the prices up at a load. And then because obviously the world is so dependent on oil, they had to pay it. And so suddenly oil goes up and oil kind of, oil going up a lot affected everything else because that's kind of, um, and it went up like kind of like three or four times. It was a kind of a huge increase. Um, right, and obviously oil is going to be tied into most sort of forms of infrastructure i suppose plastics fuels that sort of thing absolutely yeah it's, it's fundamental and so basically what happened was that this so one so this thing came out of nowhere and pushed prices up um but then prices went up so suddenly all these workers were like hey we, we want a higher price we want higher wages because of this this thing and yeah this was the kind and then basically this was a, this was a period of kind of high unionization this is where they kind of why the neoliberals got really um, disliked unions so much was because they saw the unions as being behind this kind of cost push inflation, because what they were the, the unions were demanding higher wages and they were going on strikes and kind of forcing this and they forced the uh, employers to uh, to give in to these wage increases. But then the trouble was is that all the economists and the kind of the, the governments could say, hey, you're doing this, but and it's, it helps you to. Um, to raise wages but overall it kills the economy because you're just creating inflation for everybody else so what we really need here is everyone to stop step back and kind of deal with this situation and kind of work together whereas the unions were kind of seen as working just for the just for their own members to kind of raise wages themselves um so that was the kind of yeah, the the kind of the view in of the 1980s economists is that what they need is, is to kind of be strong with the unions stop the unions kind of forcing up wages for their own members and they need to deal with the entire economy and kill inflation to kind of help everybody rather than just those people who are paying union dues. Right, and this is the start of that shift towards neoliberalism. Very, very much so. So in the 70s, the kind of received wisdom was, as you said, it was a kind of, uh, we'd we'd won the war, we're going to try and like kind of uh, deal with the kind of aftermath of the war and we're going to have, the government's going to be in control. And so Keynes was the... Um, the kind of hero of the age saying that yeah governments can do better we can we can uh, we can control the economy we can control this beast we've got this we've got all the levers we know what we're doing 
it's called demand management. So we could we can uh, tax and spend, and we can control the economy, and we can keep it on even keel. Um, and so that was the that was the plan. But then this oil price shock came out of nowhere to kind of like mess things up. And then um, the government just wasn't able to kind of get things back onto the right the, the right keel because what happened was this it, we we got set into this spiral of cost push inflation where people were demanding higher wages so people who were demanding higher wages led to higher prices and it just kind of spiraled out of control and that's what that was the kind of the setting of the seventies. Do you feel like the the push towards neoliberalism was a reaction to wanting a buffer from some sort of unexpected external change, i.e the oil price is going up or as you say you've got this demand push cost pull it's it's sort of a way to protect yourself from those unions asking for for more money yeah so i mean certainly it's kind of it gets, it gets complicated because obviously some of the unions were good and not doing things and unions have been maybe unfairly denigrated in some sense but the what was happening was that the kind of classical economics says, economics 101 says that you need to kind of free markets the way to this. Governments can't kind of intervene and control things. Humans aren't good enough at kind of controlling the economy and dealing with these things. Markets are better than governments. It's that same story that we talked about, kind of socialism versus capitalism, that having one person control is never going to be as good as having the free market kind of sorting everything out. And so that was the kind of neoliberal ideology saying that it's it's arrogant to say that we can control the economy. We have all the levers that we can do it. Um, And then the, the 70s were the kind of the way of kind of showing that and so they were saying let's go back to kind of basic economics kind of back to the old school classical economics which just says that we should we the government should stay out of it let the free market sort things out and um things like the unions were seen as getting in the way they weren't allowing kind of weight they were kind of creating more inflation by kind of making wages go up and up but it was what was needed was more kind of a, a hands-off approach to let the markets kind of sort things out and kind of deal with the fact that the oil prices had just shot up Right. I mean, it sounds to me, and, and like I appreciate that my sort of perspective isn't completely educated, but unions were sort of paying the price for an unexpected oil price hike. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I guess I'm wondering, does neoliberalism sort of protect from these external shocks to some extent? No, not really. I guess it, this. that's why I'm saying this is all kind of an old story and it kind of... It, the. The neoliberalism aspect of it is that the we needed to change kind of our, our understanding of economics. We shouldn't have the government in control of everything. We need to have the free markets allowing to do it. And the idea was that the free markets will react better to this kind of stuff. I mean, the bit that's kind of getting slightly sideways here is that the there was a lot of developments going on in the actual field of economics itself, uh, about kind of how to kind of pursue economics, how to understand how the economy works. And there was a big shift in the 80s. And there's this the big thing here was this rational expectations revolution. So... The, the, there's, a, there's a whole lot of history here about exactly what to do. And we can maybe kind of talk about it all a bit another day. But it was basically this idea that um, the best way to understand the economy is not by assuming that people are kind of uh, stupid and just kind of see the price, see the uh, inflation yesterday and think that's going to be an inflation tomorrow. They're actually cleverer than that. They're looking, at, they're looking for signals. They're looking at the central bank. They're seeing what the central bank's doing. They're looking at all this kind of monetary policy. And that kind of this came along with the neoliberals. The neoliberals were saying, like, what kind of people are smarter than um, the Keynesians are suggesting they are. They're, they're smarter than that. We actually need to kind of um, take that into account. And if we use if we use all that stuff, we can actually deal with inflation quite quickly. Um, and that was what the um, this kind of 
this new band of, of economists were doing. And these, this band of economists are now kind of still very much kind of in control today. And they were basically, there was the shift um, towards national rational expectations to assuming that people behave rationally. And there were kind of big consequences to that. And I suppose it's difficult for me to argue with that, given that inflation has been so level for such a long time. Has this problem gone away, at least in in the UK and the US? Well, I mean, exactly. The the uh, the success of um, the kind of new economists and the rational expectation people uh, of, of fighting inflation, it was called the Volcker disinflation. There was this kind of big uh, disinflation is when you reduce inflation. And in the early 80s, so Thatcher in, um, Thatcher in the UK and Reagan in, um, in America, Paul Volcker was the uh, chairman of the Fed, who was like the kind of equivalent of the governor of the Bank of England um, for America. And they managed to reduce inflation. They managed to get inflation right down. And so they, and they kind of set the stage for this massive boom throughout the 80s and 90s and then early 2000s. And so certainly that period, that great moderation when everything was, was great, that was seen as a massive indication for this kind of neoliberal economics. And um, definitely in terms of inflation, the, the, I thought they basically think, right, we've killed this now. What we've managed to do is we... And the, the big thing that, that managed to kill it was uh, a strong central bank saying, we will do this. We will, we will fight inflation. So it was the... If, if there's, a big, there's a big dragon kind of rampaging throughout, the way to, to kill this, uh, this, this big dragon is to have a big strong man being like, no, we are going to fight inflation. We are going to do this. Like, honestly, it kind of... Uh, one of the reasons I really like economics and it, and it is different to engineering and kind of other sciences is that expectations, what people think is going to happen, they matter. Like kind of the, we actually, it's something I remember talking, we, we, I can talk kind of math with an engineer and that the math is a bit the same. But as soon as I talk, talking about expectations, about the fact that it kind of what we think about it, the fact that that matters, it, it kind of. I don't know if what an engineer, th- what if someone thinks about a, a bridge does, isn't going to. If, br- if someone thinks a bridge is going to fall down, that's not going to make it fall down. Whereas if I, if all of us think that inflation is going to go up, inflation will go up. If all of us think inflation is going to go down, inflation will go down. So our kind of societal expectations actually have proper real effects. I think that's really interesting. So if an engineer, whatever, well, if, if an economist was an engineer and they built a bridge. It would just be their belief that the bridge would stay <laughs> right, up would right, be right. enough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's the thing that kind of sets engineering, sets economics apart from engineering is that beliefs matter. It, it's it's kind of it goes into the kind of funky things you get with quantum uh, quantum mechanics, where you know, kind of it, whether you observe something actually kind of affects it or not. But um, yeah, these in economics very much so uh, expectations matter. Our beliefs matter, and that's why this rational expectations thing was so important. Um, it's basically what 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 it came down to is that um when you're asking for a pay rise what you you don't really care about last year's inflation you care about next period's inflation you care about what's going to happen next year so if i think if i think next year the inflation is going to be 20 percent, i want a 20 percent pay rise just so i can keep the same whereas and um if the central bank says right i am going to deal with inflation the government says like right we're going to sort inflation out yes it was 20 percent last year it was terrible but we are we are on this we're going to sort this right out um we, we promise that inflation will be two um, percent next year now this is where beliefs come in like if i believe the government if i say hey yeah the government they they seem like a, they know what they're doing they seem like a right bunch and also they seem like they're strong they seem like they're kind of really really going to do this then I might believe them and say, okay, right, it's going to be a 2% uh, inflation next year, so I'm going to only ask for a 2% pay rise. And then if I only ask for 2% pay rise, that means that the wage bill of my company doesn't go up too much, which means that they don't need to increase the prices so much. So the ability to people to convince the, to, the ability of the government to convince people how tough they are, that really matters. And that's what the kind of the insight was. Right. And that controls this push and pull effect. So I guess my last question is 
is the dragon dead or is it just asleep? Now that is the million dollar question. That's the basically the most for the last kind of 30 years or so economists have cared about inflation central banks have cared about inflation it's something that because we cared about it um we we've watched it it reminds you you know in in super mario when if you look at the ghosts you know the booze like and if you look at them they stay still but if as soon as you turn away they kind of someone come and grab you but inflation has that element to it that for the last 30 years we've been really watching it like crazy and we watch it and so because of that we've dealt with it but and then the, the worry is is that we stop we stop kind of caring about it and it comes back Post-Crisis Economics is presented by Will Thomas and Tim Jackson, Doctor of Economics at the University of Liverpool. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Post-Crisis Pod. Thanks for listening. Bye.